Hello everybody, this is Joanna Harcourt-Smith for The Loving Edge, uh, The Loving Edge part of our Future Primitive website, and uh, I'm thrilled to be here today in Santa Fe with Dr. Barbara Lampert. Barbara Lampert is a psychiatrist who um, graduated in 1984. She did her residency at UCLA, and um, she's a woman who has worked with many, many people. Uh, I find her very interesting because she has been uh, studying the nature of reality um, as it flows through the brain of other people. And also, uh, she is a pharmacologist and has dedicated much of her practice to understanding the chemistry of the brain. So basically, as we were talking about, she and I just now, um, we are going to talk about her work, which has to do with helping people become to become sane, and in spite of all the forces that oppose sanity in the world today. So, uh, Barbara, uh, please, uh, would you say a few words about how it uh, feels to have been in this profession and in service of other people for all these years. Thank you, Joanna. Uh, I think I started doing psychiatry when I was 13. I was just saying to you that I had gone to the library to read Freud's interpretation of dreams, and then I decided I had to, uh, I found the, uh, uh, the concept of psychosis so interesting that I decided to take LSD after I read uh, I Never Promised You a Rose Garden to see what it was like to be completely madder than a hatter and schizophrenic. And I found that when I went to my residency, people didn't want to talk about uh, matters of spirituality, the soul. Uh, they were very wedded to wanting to study the observed behavior in people and the very simple connections they understood in the brain, and it was woefully lacking. I also noticed that even though we've had uh, psychotherapy for many, you know, many, many, many years now, that people seem to be getting worse, and that's of uh, real concern to me. Uh, so, on the one hand, I've been very, very grateful that I've been able to help many people uh, come out of very deep periods of depression in their lives. I've been able to help them remain stable. There's uh, on the other on the other side of that. I see people getting more depressed, more frightened, more anxious, more addicted, and I see that as a consequence of the pressures of a world that is ruled by what I consider to be very insane uh, concepts. You know, I notice. Um, I speak to a lot of young people and I notice that um, a lot of people want to kill themselves. I mean, this is strange to bring this subject here, but uh, I was wondering what your opinion is about that. 
Well, I noticed the same thing, and in fact, here in New Mexico, uh, we have one of the highest suicide rates, especially in adolescents. And uh, in Los Alamos County, where the children are, these are the offspring of these brilliant physicists and scientists of Los Alamos, they have the highest rate of suicide in the entire state. And the, uh, the growing rates of suicide are becoming uh, a, a focus for a lot of people in the government right now. Why do people want to kill themselves now more than ever? Uh, this is a question that no one has the answer to yet. It's uh, no doubt uh, partially related to the, um, uh, the use of various drugs during adolescence, the uh, uh, complete uh, chaos within so many families where there are high rates of domestic violence that children witness. Uh, I know that when I've spoken to children, or I should say adolescents up at uh, Los Alamos, they talk about the pressures that are on them to uh, succeed, the, the pressures for perfectionism. Uh, and uh, the, rate, the, 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 the general increase in rates of depression are so alarming, actually. And they are seeing now that bipolar disorder, for instance, can be diagnosed at age two and three. And um, the, uh, the rates of uh, 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 chaos in families, the failure of relationship, the, fa the, the uh, lack of skill among in families in terms of uh, uh, their own, the parents' own emotional regulation, the failure to uh, know how to uh, validate children, to be with children, to talk with children, the the pressure for families to make more increasing amounts of money to uh, who to to keep up with the uh, the the need for more stuff, more toys, at the expense of being with the children, with the family, is enormous. And um, uh, I myself have had suicides in my practice. I had one adolescent commit suicide when I first came to New Mexico, and um, I recently had someone suicide several months ago, and I see it across all age groups, but I know the adolescents are, are on the increase. Uh, there's a terrible, terrible, there's a terrible pain in the culture. So, you choose to live with this every day, to live with these stories to live with these, um, hearing this pain, um, do you have a spiritual practice and do you have a spiritual practice that you recommend to people? Um, and I'll just say, um, could you say something about whether you think that there is a a good link between a spiritual practice and um, mental health. I do have a spiritual practice, and my spiritual practice is based on something I heard the Dalai Lama say, I think, at MIT several years ago when he came from Dharamsala to do his Mind Life conference. He said, happiness is a learned skill. And I was very impressed by that. He, uh, 
was talking about the, the many and wonderful meditative practices that the Buddha taught and um, <clears throat> mindful, uh, mindfulness psychotherapy has become a standard evidence-based therapy that is being used uh, more and more uh, uh, widely. Uh, for many years, the psychoanalytic community uh, had patients on the couch five days a week with no outcome studies. Uh, finally, uh, there's an integration between behavior and uh, 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 psychodynamics. I believe that it is our ego, this thunderously uh, clumsy, noisy, angry part of ourselves that is, has totally spiraled out of control. And I believe that mindfulness as a spiritual practice allows us to step back and view our egos with humor, with love, uh, and uh, uh, and I do believe that there is a desire for an awakening. Um, my practice is not related to, uh, uh, though born Jewish, I don't practice as a Jew. I am not religious in that sense at all. But uh, uh, I believe that our ego is what is bringing us all down. What is it that um, begins the kernel of sanity, the seed of sanity in somebody who comes to you in, in great despair? Well, that's a great question. I think that there are several things that begin the seed of sanity. I believe that when a child is when an infant is exposed to a mother or father who invalidates their need for food, for the changing of a diaper, that in those early moments of disconnect, the child gets the child's sense of self, a healthy self, a stable self, gets derailed. The development of that self gets derailed right then and there. And I think so many people become uh, 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 the fake self, the egoic self, the demanding self, the narcissistic self, the depressed self. And it's, it's a matter of helping someone come back to their own path, their own experience uh, with acceptance, with humor. And when a person is able to... Uh, I, a, identify what their experience is, to be able to reflect on it, and reflection is a skill most children never learn. When they're able to do that, they don't have to have the environment act it out for them. They're able to own their own experience, and when adults begin to do that, and that's how mindfulness enables them to slow down. Mindfulness is a process of slowing down and watching, and when they're able to do that, there's a kind of, and that awakening emerges, they, there's a, 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 a glimmer of joy that you see in someone when uh, that, uh, that spaciousness of that awareness opens around them. And they're not dependent any longer on who approves of them, disapproves of them, or what drug they're taking, or what food they're eating, or how much they're making, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they're simply able to be in that space with themselves. That's a glorious thing. Jumping around a little bit here, uh, you and I last year uh, spoke about 
um, when Tom Cruise appeared on TV and um, gave his opinion that medication that alter the brain's chemistry uh, in psychiatry um, are bad. Um, you have worked a lot with people in medication. Um, can you speak about that? Yes, and I must say that having read some of L. Ron Hubbard's early work, um, I, I, I understand some of the evolution of his attitudes uh, towards and against psychiatry. And uh, let me say that I know that uh, uh, there are many times that uh, medications are used very unwisely. Uh, I think it's a great skill and an art to know how to use these medications. Uh, I think that the best example of how magnificently medications can help uh, comes from a, a story of when I worked at the National Institute of Mental Health briefly in my training, and they was, I was on an experimental ward of bipolar patients, where every day one was either in a full manic, full manic, or full depressive episode. And I saw a woman folly back and forth day after day from being depressed and wanting to kill herself and trying to kill herself to the next day being t completely manic and also trying to kill herself by climbing out of the windows of the building. I saw the level of suffering, a, a level of suffering that I could not have imagined. I saw that many of these illnesses were essentially uh, neurobiological illnesses and we were projecting our own value system onto them. So I have, not only have I been blessed to work with the best the very best people in the area of psychopharmacology and psychiatry, but I've had a chance to work with very seriously ill people and see that when you use these medications, you know, judiciously with respect, uh, with great care, I have seen people whose lives have uh, gone from serious suicide attempts, lying in the ICUs, uh, totally out of control, families having left them, to coming back to a life of, uh, of great meaning. So I have, I understand uh, the fear people have of being over-controlled and, and by these medications. I understand the, the, the dialectic, uh, the other side of the equation of the proper use of them, how, how incredibly beneficial they can be. You know, I, I uh, by chance I was, uh, I was watching Larry King the other night and uh, he was talking with this this other TV presenter, I forget what his name is, and both of them had had triple bypasses um, and uh, the one guy was saying oh I'm taking this medication for um, for uh, whatever it is that goes with that condition and uh, I can't stand the side effects and Larry King said, uh, well, I never get side effects from drugs. And now, uh, I thought that was very interesting. So and I wanted to ask you, do you think that certain people get side effects and other people don't? I think he was talking to Regis. Yeah. <laughs> and I do think that people, some people get side effects and others don't. And that's always been very perplexing to me. I think that in some people, one of the theories is that... Um, uh, people metabolize the drugs very differently so that if for someone who metabolizes uh, an antidepressant very slowly, that drug may tend to build in their system 
and uh, they have a little harder time uh, 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 getting it cleared from the system. That may be one cause. I, I, I don't really understand why that's true, but it is, I've seen that same thing happen. Okay, Barbara. Um, you, uh, you mentioned that you've been studying reality. So here's the big question. What have you found out about reality? Well, you know, Noel Coward said uh, in, in, in one of his wonderful songs that if you're going to be alive, if you're going to have a life, you may as well live it. And I think that, uh, I think that uh, there are questions about consciousness I'll never understand. I do believe that uh, uh, we can do a lot better. What I understand about reality is that we uh, can be powerful creators of it. And I see the uh, the excitement around this the film, The Secret. Of course, mm -hmm. that's uh, very based on very old old information uh, and uh, more complex, perhaps, than just positive thinking. But I think that we have relinquished our power and our uh, abilities to some other, uh, whether it's religious or political ide ideologies. I think that. Uh, uh, I find it interesting that we have cre I d we have created a reality that is so full of pain. I, I don't uh, see why we continue to find this a good thing to do. Uh, so currently, I'm I'm working on um, attempting to be mindful as much as humanly as I can be, and uh, to create a reality of great joy and abundance and fulfillment. I think we haven't even begun to test the waters of that, or else we once did and we, we forgot that we could do it. That's closer to what I really do believe. And um, every, every now and then we all get a glimpse of it. And I see patients of mine who come in, and in the middle of the worst depressions and the worst psychosis, I hear them say that they've seen the same thing, and that part of their depression is based on the missing of that, of that life, of that reality that they may have once experienced or they sense and they can't get to. And um, I think that the anger and the frustration that I see often comes from that. They know we could do better. They know they could do better. And uh, uh, I think that we haven't played enough in reality. We've, we've, we've walked into these wars that are beyond abysmally stupid. Uh, and uh, this is what we've spent our time on. So I think uh, I think we haven't tested the waters yet about what we can create in the so-called reality. It could be wondrous, I think. So um, how can we be sane in an insane world? Joanna, I wonder what you think about that. How can we? I think we all we all have to do it, it breath by breath. I think we have to do it breath by breath and not expect anyone else to do it for us, not expect that if we buy our new Tag Heuer watch down at you know Stearns in Manhattan that that'll do it. I think it's breath by breath with an awareness, with, uh, uh, with uh, uh, a knowledge that every action we take affects everyone else and as Bob Thurman said, in a recent book he wrote, he said, it's kind of like we're all traveling. We don't know where we're traveling exactly, but it's, it's almost as if we're all on a train, and we're all in the subway car together. And it would be better if, since we're all on the train together, that everyone is okay on the car, 
Because if we get someone furious or someone flips out, then we have to attend to them. So it's better if we all kind of tend to each other in this very benevolent way, knowing, look, let's get going together here, you know. And uh, uh, breath by breath, that's the only way I can think that it can work for each of us to take responsibility breath by breath. So many people come in here uh, to your office, and so many people have come to see you since 1984. What do we long for? What is it? I hear you saying that um, there's a great longing. What do we long for? What do the people who come to see you long for? I think there are several several delineations there. I think some people long to be rid of pain. And some people long for a better life, to be happy, to be more effective. Uh, and I think that the individuals who long to be free of pain uh, are focused on, uh, uh, very preoccupied with uh, either wanting to be free of that pain or wanting to die. And I see patients who come to me who every day are practicing suicide to leave the planet. Mm -hmm. And yet I know none of them really want to die after all. And uh, uh, the the folks who come here and... See, I, ha I have to say one other thing. Most of the people I see have very, very, very serious active mental disorders that require a lot of psychopharmacology, very intensive psychotherapy, and when they begin to clear from that, that's when I start to see the longing for spiritual sanity, for uh, uh, a life that is uh, making sense. Here in New Mexico, um, many of my patients who live up in, in, in nature find that that's the link to what they want, which was, is a connectivity. They want help, they want healthier attachments to the planet, to each other, to their, their highest spiritual self. Uh, and of course, the more depressed they are, the more addicted that they are, they are often, these are the most spiritual, holy people I ever get to meet. Could you speak about um, the, um, the disconnect between uh, people and nature? And um, if you feel, like you were speaking a couple of minutes ago, that uh, this disconnect between people and nature affects sanity. I think that I have uh, suffered from a dis my own disconnect working in places like Los Angeles and New York and even here in Santa Fe, uh, it being at the university and, not, not, and losing my own connection to nature. Uh, I recently met a shaman, uh, a Mohawk shaman named Oki Forrest, who came from Chavez, and we talked about the need to be in nature as a way of healing uh, one's insanity. And I have found that most of my patients who are suffering the most have been out of nature. I feel like this is an area that I have to explore for myself. And when my friends get me to leave my office and go out up into the uh, the Pecos wilderness, um, uh, I find a, sh a shift 
come over myself that I can't quite describe. Uh, so I feel like this is an area that I'm exploring for myself too. Now, I'm uh, very uh, proud and happy that uh, I see that more and more people are listening to um, Future Primitive. So um, I know that you are um, in this business to spiritually help people. I know that about you. I've known you for over 20 years. So say some people are listening to um, our conversation here and um, they are feeling hopeless and extremely dis depressed and distressed. Uh, could you put out a distillation of what you would say to somebody, even if it's like this over the air, what can you say to help? Mm -hmm. I would say that uh, for someone who's feeling very deeply depressed and very hopeless, there's several things they should be aware of. Um, there's a lot that's now known in psychology and psychiatry about how to treat depression effectively. That that emotions are waves and to be very watchful about where you are in the wave of your own emotions to, to really recognize that uh, uh, depressions uh, depressions will pass even without treatment chances are most depressions will pass and that um, there are a lot of I, I, won't be, I won't say a lot but there are very, very experienced, good psychotherapists everywhere now, and psychopharmacologists as well. Um, while we still know very little about the brain, there's no question now that uh, medications can work in many, many, many people. So a relatively low side effect profile. And that therapy and spiritual work can... <laughs> There are wonderful teachers around. Look at look at what you have going on your site, the information and the and the connectivity that's growing on your site. Um, to reach out, to reach out breaks the isolation and connectivity, uh, the the lack of connectivity that causes so much hopelessness. Just the act of reaching out and saying, "I'm I'm depressed. I feel like I want to kill myself." That breaks the spell right there in itself. And I know, I know that there are really good people out there, everywhere. So, um, what have you learned about the chemistry of the brain? What I've learned uh, is uh, that the brain is constantly changing every second. As you and I sit here and we're facing each other on this beautiful Friday in Santa Fe, uh, with this conversation we are sprouting new dendrites in our brain, new connections. The brain is constantly changing and growing and shifting, and it is uh, as mysterious in certain ways as it has been from day one. Um, the uh, knowledge that uh, people can sculpt the brain from within by thinking, by praying, by meditating, that we can actually change the structure of our brains from within is a marvelous thought. And so it's we're working on our brains. Whenever we when we get angry, we're sculpting it. When we 
uh, when we're good to people, we're sculpting it. Compassion, we know, makes us happy. The, the brain scans have shown that when we're compassionate, the parts of the brain that have to do with happiness light up. And so we have a lot of control over our brains. And that's a very exciting thing. Um, uh, the way we eat, the way we breathe affects the brain. And so I'm as in love with the brain as I always have been. And, uh, uh, you know, more will be revealed. <laughs> well, Barbara, this has been really, really wonderful. And um, I uh, want to ask you at this point, before we, before we close this interview, um, if there is anything you'd like to add. Well, I think that uh, the uh, I'm, thank you, Joanna. It's been a long time. Um, I would like to uh, just ask for all of us to uh, keep peace in mind to create a whole new paradigm every moment with every breath. We can do it. I know we can do that. Thank you so much. <laughs>